Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you. Glad you are here with us. And whether you're joining us online or here in person, I am thankful that you are here. And I truly, sincerely believe that God has you here for a reason today. He has something for you that we're going to look in this passage together. And I pray that your, your eyes and ears are attentive to receive that. Because I have just experienced that in my own life. If I'm not listening to God, I won't hear God. So I just pray that your, your, your ears and, and really your heart are open to receive what he has for you this morning. So I uh, just want to say thank you again for coming, whether you're on, in person or online. We sincerely appreciate you spending time with us uh, this Sunday morning. There's so many other things that you could be doing. I understand. Probably projects around the house, spending time with other people. But part of, part of coming to worship is honoring God with our time and giving him as, as a way of a symbol of first priority of us in our lives, of, of the first day of the week, honoring him with the first morning of the first day, just as he rose from the grave on that same day. We gather together to celebrate that this morning. So our passage this morning is Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 34. We're we talking about my uh, sermon this morning is entitled First Things First. So let's stand and read this together. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 19 through 24, or 34, I'm sorry, not 24. Starting in verse 19 in Matthew chapter 6, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For there, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan or to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil uh, or spin. And I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, God. God, we, we come to study your word. We come to listen 
to your voice, God. We come to feel your Holy Spirit move in us. God, we study this passage. There's so many things in here that, that we all struggle with at different points in our life. God, whether it's just anxiety or whether it's about priorities or just worry. God, I pray that this morning as we think through these things, we would ask ourselves some questions. God, I pray that we would consider what our priorities are in life, God. That we would consider what your priority in our life should be. Thank you for this time that we have together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Thank you. Uh, kind of for an opening illustration this morning, I want to play a quick little game. It's called Who I Am, Who, Who Am I? Rags to Riches, or actually Riches to Rags version, okay? So what I want to do is I want to read a little description, and you can, you can feel free to shout back who you think I'm talking about, okay? All right, so having one of the top-selling albums of all time brought this musician unimaginable wealth. At the top of his fame, he was estimated to be worth $33 million. But when his career failed to produce another hit, <clears throat> he was forced to file for bankruptcy. His lavish spending habits, including multiple expensive cars and a $30 million mansion, contributed to his downfall. Who do you think that is? I heard something. No, not Nicholas Cage. This is a musician. Very close. Very close. MC Hammer, MC Hammer, MC Hammer, who wrote Can't Touch This or Too Legit to Quit, went bankrupt. <laughs> All right, the next one. Got two more. This former champion had an illustrious career for which he was paid handsomely, almost $400 million over the course of 20 years. Despite earning $30 million for one night's work, he was forced to declare bankruptcy for being $23 million in debt. And according to the documents filed in his bankruptcy proceedings, he was spending $400,000 a month to maintain his lifestyle. Who do you think I'm talking about? Mike Tyson. Whoever said that? Mike Tyson. The last one. Not so, not so recent. This founding father wasn't free from the burdens of debt. While it wasn't unusual for farm owners to carry debts from year to year, his debt was so immense that his family was forced to sell most of his property after his death. And according to records, he owed $107,000 or about $2 million in today's money. And not surprisingly, he lived well beyond his means, spending lavishly on various engineering projects as well as ordering bottles to be shipped over from Europe. Who do you think that is? Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson. We look into the world, it's not hard to find people who seemingly had it all only to lose everything. I think we, especially in the tech age, have seen these bubbles burst, these bubbles come and go where, where people seemingly have everything that they need all of a sudden to lose it all. In this passage here, Jesus is teaching us about what's important. What should be first priority in our life? So let's look here in verse 19. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. 
But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, or, or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What I think is important for us to understand is that we make decisions about the priorities in our life. And here Jesus is, is telling us, really, really commanding us, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. He says, but rather make the decision to lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. He's really te teaching us, and if you're like me, you hear the word treasure, you're not sure what that means. When you, when you hear the word treasure, my mind instantly thinks of the movie Goonies, like when they, when they go and found all this treasure, or it thinks of like Scrooge McDuck swimming in his money bin. But that's not really what he's talking about here when he says treasure. Rather, he's talking about the things that we value. And this is a really interesting thing because it, it kind of falls in a little bit to what uh, my company does because we, we help make things valuable by making them desirable. And something that, that we value is, is something that we consider to be important or beneficial or we have a high opinion of it. So it's something that we consider valuable, we, we ascribe worth to that. So whatever that is that we find valuable in our life, that's what Jesus is talking about here. If we find it important or beneficial. And there's a lot of things that fit into that category. Our, our first thought is money, and that, that, is, that is partially what Jesus is talking about in this passage. He is talking about money, but I do also think he's talking about anything that we value above him. And we think about in our, in, our, in, our, in our lives here, the things that we desire. We recently watched the Super Bowl. Anybody watch the Super Bowl? I did not watch it this year, okay? But companies spend millions of dollars to put one commercial on the Super Bowl. Why? Because they know so many people are going to be watching it. So many people are going to be watching that. You have this captive audience here of people that get to notice your product. And they're hoping that by putting together this fantastic commercial, right? Because commercials are really the best part of the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, this, this, this really catching commercial that they can make you want whatever it is that they're selling. And if they can kind of spark that desire in you, that you value that thing, then you will part with your hard-earned money to get that. That's what they want to do. So value is really driven by desire. Whether it's something that's scarce and maybe there's not a lot of it, like toilet paper. Or, or maybe there's things that we just, are like, like gold, where like inherently it has some value. Ultimately, it comes down to desirability. If people desire it, they'll be willing to pay for those things. And as a kid growing up, I had lots of toys that I wish I still had because people desire them now and they're worth a lot of money. Whether it was G.I. Joe's or He-Man or baseball cards or any comic books or things like that, people pay lots of money for things now because they desire to have them. They're worth a lot of money. But I also think it's interesting to think through this with the aspect of the, the verb version of this to treasure, to treasure, which means to, to, to cherish or to prize or to keep as precious. And, and when Jesus is talking about in this passage here, he's asking us two things here. Number one, what are we treasuring? 
what are the things that we deem as important in our lives? And he's doing a comparison here where he has this idea of you have things that are on earth and you have things that are in heaven. And really, he's, he's asking us to evaluate our lives and say, what, what are we valuing the most? Are we, are we valuing the things of heaven or are we really valuing the things of earth? Because it really comes down to desiring. What, what do we desire the most? Do we desire fame and wealth here on earth? Or are we looking and pointing our eyes to heaven and saying, no, I, I want to be, be a part of what God is doing here on this earth? And I think there's a, a real big distinction there. In this comparison that he makes in this passage, he says this, you know, I don't know if many of you guys are, are investors of any sort or anything like that, but when I was in college, I, I did a lot of like day trading and things like that. And, and it was during that time, I was really looking for the short-term gain. I wanted to make the money and I wanted to make it quick. But now that I've gotten older, it's more about long-term gains. I'm kind of looking for the, the, the consistent over time, which is part of the reason I haven't bought into the whole crypto thing, right? Because it's gone up and down and back and forth and all over the place. It's about our priorities. Are we looking for the short-term gain? Are we looking for the long-term gain? And the comparison that, that Jesus gives us here is this. It says, well, worldly riches... It describes it on here where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Have you ever thought about this, thing, this way? Everything that you have on this earth will be destroyed. Everything, every material thing that you value on earth will ultimately be destroyed. You can't take it with you. It passes on to other people. But ultimately, when God recreates the, a new heaven and a new earth, it'll ultimately be destroyed. And so I think Jesus is pointing out this comparison here with worldly riches, they ultimately fade. They could easily be lost or stolen, like in our example, these people who were on the top of the world. And this, isn't, this is important. The reason I put uh, Thomas Jefferson was on there, this isn't something that happens just in modern day. It happens forever. It has happened forever. Things change in life. Sometimes you're up and sometimes you're down and we can't put our hope in those things. The worldly riches, they ultimately fade away. They can easily be lost or stolen. Ultimately, they don't lead to a net positive return because we can't take those things with us. And they also, even worse, lead to selfishness, pride, sin, and destruction. When we, when we focus our lives and we point them towards worldly riches, it leads to our destruction. Instead, the comparison here with godly riches is that, you know what, These, this is a place where your, your treasure is safe. It is not going anywhere. No one can take it from you. It lasts forever. It cannot be stolen a moth cannot, cannot eat it away. Rust cannot destroy it. And it's multiplied over and over and over again as we invest in the kingdom of God. It gives us a high return. And the best thing is it leads us to more and more faith in God. Something that I always try to keep in mind in my life is this. 
Investing in eternal things, investing in kingdom things, is investing in people. If I want to invest money or time or whatever it is, talent that, that God has given me or you, and we want to do it for eternity, it's about investing in people. Because like I said earlier, ultimately everything in this world will be destroyed and remade and, and made better and made perfect. The only thing that really lasts forever, other than, other than God, is people. Is people. Investing in things that make a difference in the lives of people. That's what it is investing in eternity. Investing in eternal things. You know, it says here where your treasure is. Jesus uses this in verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is, this is you know, I know we've heard this verse so much, but it's such an important connection that Jesus makes here. This is the important connection that he makes. That, that the things that we value on the inside really are connected to the things that we value on the inside. The things that we value on the outside really are connected to the things that we value on the inside. The things that we value ultimately have our heart. And just as much as this is a talk about what we do with our money, it's really a talk of what are we doing with our heart? What are the priorities of our heart? And I think about this. We often call you know, the heart the rudder the rudder of your life. Whatever controls your heart often has a tendency to steer you and direct your life one way or another. And, and here's the thing. I, I realize this after studying this. You know, oftentimes I think, you know, Satan really is just trying to get you a little off course. He's just trying to, trying to direct your rudder a little bit off course. And, and he knows that if he can just change that, the, the rudder of your life, just by a few degrees, you will not end up at your destination. Over the course of your life, you will get further and further and further and further off course. So the issue is Satan is trying to get to your heart. He really wants your heart. He doesn't have to have your heart for himself. All he has to do is take your heart away from God. And slowly but surely we'll drift off further and further away from God. That is the rudder of our, of our life, our heart. So where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And then in verse 22, he uses the illustration of an eye. And, and in ancient, um, ancient Jewish culture here, the, this eye, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. It, it was something that, was, that, would, that would kind of basically describe what was inside you. They could look into your eyes and see whether you had goodness or, or evil inside of you. And so he says here, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your body will be full of darkness. So when we think about our eyes, this, this, this thing that we prioritize in our life, often, oftentimes have our heart, but it also has our, our eyes. What are the things that we fix our eyes on? What are the things that we pay attention to? What are the things that we notice? 
Jesus connects this idea of the condition of our heart with the outside actions again by just saying this, this idea of your, your eyes, they express what's on the inside. And this thought of, of just what, what are you directing your eyes towards? You've often heard it said, you know, you are who you hang out with. But I'll, I'll say to you this morning, oftentimes you are what you look at or what you pay attention to or what you focus on. We fix what we fix our gaze on has a way of entering our soul and commanding our attention. And when it does that, we start to desire it. And then it gets a hold of our heart. And then we drift off course. So I've asked you this morning, what what do you what are you fixing your eyes on? Whatever that thing is, whatever has your attention probably has your heart. If it's the Lord then your life will be full of godliness. If it's worldly things, then your life is probably full of sin and will ultimately lead to destruction. But it's important for us to understand, and he draws this illustration of of healthiness. Now, he's not talking about physical healthiness. He's talking about spiritual healthiness. If we want to be healthy, we have to focus our eyes on Jesus. We have to pay attention to him. And I always think, uh, you know, in churches, they're, they're just, sometimes there can be division. And there hasn't been here, praise the Lord. Okay. My favorite things about this church. In other churches, there's, it's easy to kind of get divided over things that just don't really matter. And it's oftentimes in those situations that, I, that if I'm trying to mediate or, or just help two parties understand each other, I always want to bring it back to Jesus. I always want to look at Jesus. I always want to point people to Jesus. And ultimately, that's the goal of our whole life. And let me say this to you. You can't be Jesus for someone else. You can't be Jesus for someone else. Only Jesus can be Jesus. Oftentimes, we put ourselves in that position as kind of because we have this savior complex. We want to save people. We want to be seen as someone who saves people. But Jesus is the only one who saves people. And any try to hope that, that people put in us is, is, is not going to live up to the hype. Only Jesus can be Jesus. So what I do in my life is, you know what? People want help. I'm, I'm going to point them to Jesus. I'm going to show them what Jesus said. I'm going to point them to study God's word. I'm going to say, look at what Jesus said here, because I want them to focus their eyes on him instead of me or a church or a building. I want them to understand and fall in love with Jesus because it's only then that he will have their heart. And when he has their heart, their their rudder is straight on in the right direction and tracking forward. When we fall in love with Jesus, oh, I can't remember the hymn, but just, just the word just came into it. We, we gaze upon his, his face. I can't remember the, the hymn that that comes from. But we, when we gaze into the eyes of Jesus, we finally see him face to face. Oh, man, what a wonderful thing that will be. What a wonderful thing that will be. So, what are you fixing your eyes on? As it says here in the passage, it says, If your eyes are as healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then the light of, if the light, I'm sorry, then the light in you is darkness. How great the darkness. And we live in a time of great darkness. There are some places in this world, some things in this world that if we saw them, we would not believe our eyes. We live in a time of, of great darkness. We have to focus on the things that are of God. In verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So the next step Jesus takes here is he connects this idea with that of a slave and a master. A slave and a master. He says you cannot serve two masters. Because the reality is either you will love one and hate the other. You can only be devoted to one thing in your life fully. And when Jesus says this at the end, he says you cannot serve God and money. He, he's saying, listen, I am the thing that you need to serve. I am the one that deserves your full attention. Because we often can find ourselves, and I found myself in this, in this place many times where, like, man, I feel like I, I'm, I'm like in this tug of war between these two things that are going on in my life, and I can't quite figure out what's happening here. And when we serve two masters, that's what we end up finding ourselves in, really in the middle of a tug of war. Our loyalties cannot be divided or will be destroyed, and our devotion has to be to God alone, above all things. Recently, last month, my family and I had a no-sugar challenge. And if you want to find out if something has a stronghold on you, just try to abstain from it. Just try to go without it for an extended period of time. I was determined, though, because I kind of knew sugar had a, had a thing in my life, and I, I wanted to demonstrate that I could go an entire month without having any sugar. So I was determined. And so we did that. We went all the way through January. We, we didn't drink sugar. We didn't eat sugar. We didn't, you know, consume things that were just really sugary, candy stuff. And we completely did, a, did, did a, away with that. And it was in that moment that I realized what a stronghold that it had in my life. Now, you could replace that with anything, okay? You can replace whether it's sugar or whether it's anything else, but it's easy to understand how, what kind of a stronghold things have on you if you try to abstain from it. In the first few weeks, it was hard, right? Because you just want to drink sweet tea. That's like my thing. Like, I've got to drink sweet tea, but I know how to drink water. And I always had to drink water, and I hated drinking water. But slowly but surely, over the course of the month, I was like, okay... I'm just drinking water. That's what I'm doing. It became my default. But it was really during that time that I realized that sugar had mastery over me and not me over it. Now, this month, we've kind of gone back to having some sugar and just a little bit here and there. We just recently had a birthday and some things like that. And, and right now, I'm, I'm kind of losing the battle a little bit to my wife's carrot cake. Uh, because it's so good. <laughs> Finished that off last night because <laughs> I had to do away with it. 
but I couldn't bring myself to throw it in the trash because that would be a sin. So, so I still struggle with that. But it was a realization for me that things have mastery over us. We serve things, whether it's the things that we eat or the actions that we do or what we look at. Things have mastery over us. And it is, it is a good thing to identify what those things are and get rid of them in your life. In church history, we have a time that we're really about to start uh, in other churches. You know, we call it Lent. And this was really a time of, of fasting from certain things in our life that, that we thought maybe had a stronghold on us so that we could prepare ourselves spiritually to celebrate Easter. And we've kind of lost that. We've kind of lost that idea of denying ourselves, right? We kind of rather indulge ourselves. We live in a society where every desire that we could possibly ever have could be indulged in. And so we do. But I encourage you strongly to exert self-control in every area of your life. It's a fruit of the Spirit. If God is working in your life, you need to be demonstrating self-control in every area. Every area of your life. So if you feel like you're caught in a tug of war, because maybe you're serving two masters, you know, there's been times where we all feel that way. We've got to know what is what has a hold of us. And we have to know what are we serving in our life? What are we serving in our life? Because just like it says here, you cannot serve God and anything else. You cannot serve God and anything else. Especially money. You cannot serve God and, and fill in the blank. So he goes on verse 25 and he basically uses these illustrations in verse 25 Jesus goes on and says therefore I tell you do not be anxious about your life what you will eat what you will drink nor about what uh, nor about your body or what you will put on is not life more than food and body more than clothing recent studies have shown us that we live in a society more than ever before where people are stressed out and anxious about their life. People don't know how to handle difficulty because life just has them so stressed out. They're having mental breakdowns. More people are, 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 uh, are more open to going and seeing you know, a counselor than, than they've ever been in their life. And, and we deal with anxiety. That is just a part of life. And I, I think it's important here to note that Jesus recognizes this. He recognizes this and tells us, don't be anxious about your life. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, what you're going to put on. And I love this phrase that he has here. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? When we think about our lives, Maybe we might dress the best or have the best food to eat or live in the nicest house or live in or drive the best car or whatever it is, fill, fill in the blank with whatever it is that we often desire. And we can ask ourselves, is not life more than that? Life is so much more than that. Jesus calls us to live a life. I used to give this book 
called Don't Waste Your Life from John Piper to my students when they graduate high school. It was really based off of a, a sermon of his. And, and overall, just the book was encouraging them, don't waste their life on worldly pursuits or selfish pursuits, but rather, rather pursue God with all that you have. Pursue God with all that you are, and he'll take care of all the other things that you need. So in this passage right here, he uses, it says, do not be anxious about your life. And he uses the illustration of birds in verse In verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, but yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And this great, another great dissection, are you not more valuable than they? Are you not more valuable than they? Can I tell you something that just just needs to kind of sit on you for a little bit? Just for you to dwell on and kind of think through? That you are valued by God. That God desires you. Just like we desire things of this world, God desires you. He wants your heart. He doesn't need it. I'll make a distinction here. He doesn't doesn't need anything. But he wants you. He values you. We were sharing with the kids the other day, just in our little family um, church time that we have, this idea of being things were created by God. Everything was created by God, right? But some things he just spoke into existence by his word. But what he, he you know, all the all the trees, all the all the fish, all the animals, he just spoke them to existence with his word. But when it comes to creating man, when it comes to creating mankind, he does something completely different. He takes the, the, the dust of the earth, the dirt, and he forms it. He takes his time and creates it. Just like a, a master creating a masterpiece. He takes his time and molds it and creates it just like he wants to and then breathes his very breath of life into it. So I say this to you that God values you. You are valuable to him. He counts you as treasure for himself. And so this illustration of he uses the birds, how, how God takes care of the things that are out there. He takes care of nature. Nature, he sets it up to take care of itself in a way. But oftentimes we're not ever satisfied with that, are we? We're not really sometimes satisfied with what God gives us. Rather, we want what we want. When I think about that in my own life, I always think about Israel, when Israel goes to Samuel and they're like demanding a king and they're like, no, we want, we want to be like everybody else, Samuel. We're tired of letting God lead us. We don't, want, we don't want God to be our king. We want a king like an earthly king, like somebody who's right here. And in 1 Samuel eight nineteen, it says, but the people refuse to listen. He's trying to ration, uh, rationalize with them, uh, with Samuel. And he says, no, they say, no, we want a king over us. And we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. What is really interesting about that, did God not demonstrate his faithfulness to them? Did God not deliver them and feed them and take care of them over and over and over again? But yet they wanted to be like everyone else. That is our struggle. 
That is our struggle, to identify those things, the way that we seek after the things of this world and prioritize them over the things of God. That's when we make a mistake. That's when we make a mistake. We need to trust in the Lord. Trust that he will provide our needs for us. And he goes on, verse 28, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. So this illustration of the birds... And now he talks about the, the lilies or the flowers of the field. How God can takes care of them. Provides their needs for them. And will provide our needs for us. But he identifies the issue here. The issue is, oh you of little faith. The issue is our faith. Do we really trust God? So... The thing is about our treasure, whatever is that thing that we value, do we really trust God with that? Or are we trusting ourselves? Are we trusting in things of the world? Because really, that, that's, what, that's what money gives us. Money gives us this sense of security. Money isn't about just, just things. It's about security and control. It's about us saying, God, you know what, I... I, I I know you got this, but, but I really got it, God. I can take care of this myself. I can build up my bank account. I can have this much money in there, and that's going to make me feel safe. That's going to make me feel secure. And instead of trusting in God, what we do is we trust in that bank account. We trust in whatever that thing is. And that's a mistake because ultimately we know those things can be taken away. The stock market can downturn. Whatever it is, those things can go away in an instant. But the things when we put our treasure in God, that can never be taken away. So we have to make sure that our priorities are right. We have to make sure that, that we're trusting, that we're trusting in the thing that, can, that, will, that will hold up. The thing that lasts forever. The thing that no one can take away from us. Trusting in the Lord and putting our treasure and our trust in Him. Let me say, I don't say this as someone who just is reading this and as someone who maybe has never had a hardship in my life. I, and I've shared this with some of y'all. Um, and I maybe have even shared it in a previous sermon. But there was a time in my life, roughly about five years ago, when the rug got pulled out from underneath me. Where my livelihood, my insurance, my income, my benefits were completely taken away. Amanda was pregnant with Matthew at the time. So I had three kids and a pregnant wife. And just like anyone, you wonder, what am I going to do? As a dad, as a husband, you're like, I have to provide for my family. That's my job. That's what I do. And when that gets taken away from you and you don't have anything, where do you turn? Where do you turn? I can say this, even though that happened, and it wasn't good, and it wasn't easy to go through, and that it was scary, 
I trusted that God would take care of us, and he did. And in miraculous ways, God provided for our family. And it wasn't always in the way that I, that I maybe wanted it to be, but, it, but he provided. He took care of every need that we had. Every need that we had was met. Whether that was through government assistance, whether that was through parents giving us money, whether that was through a person who paid me for a job to do something, God took care of us. And I say that to say to you that you can trust him to take care of you. You can trust him to take care of you. Just like he does of the birds of the air, of the lilies in the field. He values you and will take care of you. So in this passage, he says, And which of you, by being anxious, in verse 27, can add a single hour to the span of his life? What is it with worry? Does worry get us anything? No, it causes us stress. <laughs> it doesn't add anything to us. It just hurts us physically, mentally, spiritually. It does all those things, that, and, and God knows that. And it's not going to add a single hour to your life. And why are you anxious? Trust in the Lord is what he's trying to say here. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Have faith in him. He will provide for your needs. And I think it's interesting that he draws this contrast in verse 32. It says, for the Gentiles seek after these things. The Gentiles seek after these things. The people of the world will, will push you. They will pull you to desire the same things that they do. Man, check this out. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this thing I got. Isn't it cool? Isn't it awesome? And then, then you want it. So we live in a world that we're constantly being, our, our attention is constantly being pulled to one product or another. And, and it, that, that is set up to emotionally manipulate us to desire that. And if we're not fighting against that, then we're given into it. So the Gentiles seek after all these things. And here's the important thing. And your heavenly father knows. Your heavenly father knows that you need them all. God knows. God knows your needs. He knows your wants. He knows the desires of your heart. He knows the things that keep you up at night. He knows your greatest fears. He knows them all. And the promise is that he'll take care of you. And that promise, though, hinges on this next verse. He knows that you need them all. But in verse 33, and we're all familiar with this, this one verse, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. See, this whole thing, this whole passage is really about priorities in our life. The things that we value in our life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. See, all those things that keep you up, all those desires that you have, God isn't promising to take care of all the things that you want, but he will take care of all your needs if you're seeking his kingdom first. 
Because if you're living life your own way, there's no guarantee that God's not promising to take care of that. If you end up thousands of dollars in debt, God's not promising to take care of that because you weren't being a good financial steward. But if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and rearrange the priorities in your life to fit that, he'll take care of every need that you have. All these things will be added to you is the promise there. So we have to make sure that our priorities are in order. And that the kingdom of God and his righteousness is our first priority. Our first master. The thing that we're trusting in. Our anxiety comes from our lack of faith. Just like the disciples. Just like the disciples in the boat in the middle of the storm. Or they're, they're freaking out about whatever's happening that storm. And I can understand that because I probably I would have been doing the same thing. But what did, they, what did they forget? They forgot that they had the Savior in the boat with them. They forgot that Jesus was there. And that he's Lord over the storm. And so I say to you, don't forget that Jesus is with you. If you're going through a storm, don't forget that Jesus is with you. Seek after him. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Trust in him. Place your faith in him. And know that he'll take care of you. In verse 34, it says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You never know what tomorrow will bring. God does. God knows. That's why we have to trust him. God knows the things that will happen tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. We have no clue. I'm sure that if you went back and talked to the people that we had that were using the illustration, whether, whether that would be Mike Tyson or Thomas Jefferson or, or even MC Hammer, you would ask them at the height of all of their life, of their, of their wealth, they're like, you know, they think that that was ever going to go away. They never thought that. They thought that was theirs forever. They thought, no, I'm going to keep making records and keep making hits and be able to have this lavish lifestyle forever. Mike Tyson probably thought he was going to be the heavyweight champion of the world for forever. But things change. And the only way that we can guard against that is by trusting in Jesus. Trusting in Jesus. So as we close out this morning... Let me just say a few things about this passage real quick. One, here's what I want you to know that this passage is not saying. Is it saying give away all your money or that money's not important? No, it's not saying that at all. Is it saying don't save anything? Nope, not saying that either. Is it saying you can be lazy and God's going to take care of everything? No, not saying that either. But what God is saying in this passage is focus on him, pursue him, put your heart after him, direct your life towards him, and you'll have everything that you need. Put your faith in him and not in this world. Use what God gives you to invest in the eternal things of the kingdom. Don't waste it on the things of this world. Don't waste it on 
on things of this world that can change from one day to the next. Rather invest in the eternal things of God. So just as a reflection time, and we're going to do Lord's Supper here in just a second. I want you to ask yourselves kind of these questions. Number one, what, what do I value? What, how, how, how do I spend my time and money? What does that tell you about the things that I value in my life? So just consider that. What, what do you value? What is your treasure? Second question, what are you fixing your eyes on? What has your attention? What is capturing you? Is it, is it light or darkness? What are you allowing into your life? Third thing, who are you serving? Who are you serving? You can't serve two masters. You can only have one. So who are you serving? Serving yourself? Serving God? Whatever it is, that, that, that thing has your heart. And the fourth question is, what am I trusting in? What am I trusting in? Am I trusting in a government? Am I trusting in a 401k? Am I trusting in myself? Am I trusting in even my spouse? What are you trusting in? Because here's the thing. Even, even, am I trusting even in my own hands instead of God's provision for me? Any security that we provide ourselves really is just sand running through our fingers. can easily be as lost just as quickly as it's gained. So as we close and kind of move into our time of uh, Lord's Supper here, I just pray that you would consider those questions. What do I value? What do I fix my eyes on? Who am I serving? And what am I trusting in? Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the opportunity to open your word. Lord, I'm thankful that you have given us the treasured gift of your word. Lord, that when we deal with anxiety or we deal with worry or stress or you teach us not to trust in the things of this world, but rather to lean into you, to grow our faith in you. Lord, that you are worthy and strong. You are our refuge. You are the thing that can never be taken away from us. And God, uh, we can have everything that this world could possibly offer. But if we don't have you, it's all for nothing. God, I pray you would help us prioritize our lives. Put first things first. Put you first. God, that we'd honor you with our time. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.